0: Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to GradCast Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, I'm joined by co-host Tyson Davis. Thanks for joining us. And today we are joined by our guest, Anish Engineer. Hello. So the first awesome question is, <laughs> um, your last name is Engineer. Uh... Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I totally thought that was a like a typo at first. I, I get that a
0: lot. I feel like uh, the, when people were, uh, first meet me, the first question that they ask is, are you an engineer? And my answer to that is no. I would never be an engineer because I hated physics. I don't know about you, but I can never understand physics. So that was, uh, from the start, that was just no for me. But yeah, that's
1: my last name. That is amazing. I, I loved physics. Um, I almost went. A physics route, but I, I loved biology more. I almost too. became an engineer, so exactly. I almost became well, an engineer you know, too. You there you go. <laughs> the three of us all been engineers in our own way. Um, anyway, that's a really that is a really cool last name. Uh, is there a sort of?
0: Um, I think it goes back. Like, so uh, I'm of Indian descent. So I think um, back in the day, probably my grandfather's grandfather was an engineer by profession. Um, And I think that's how the last name stuck. Um, uh, At the time, India was under the British rule, and I think they identified people based on their profession or what they did. So because that family was into engineering, that last name was given to them, and it stuck around for
1: generations, I guess. <laughs> I guess that makes a lot of sense. Like, I know someone whose last name is Shoe Smith, and Perfect. they would have probably at some point in that family lineage been Shoesmiths, or actually the first name, Taylor, literally means a tailor, like presenter so makes suits. And
2: the last name Smith is so common because so common. Bla- it referred to blacksmiths uh, during British rule, and they were the people that didn't go to war because uh, they were the ones making the go. weapons, oh, exactly. so smith. Prevailed as a last name over other last names.
1: I wonder if my last name's Polish for blacksmith. My family heritage is blacksmith, so Mozinski guys probably doesn't mean blacksmith, but, but maybe. You never know. <laughs> Uh, very cool yeah I know I looked this up a few
2: days ago actually my my mother's maiden name is Wheeler and it comes from Weller because apparently somewhere back in the lineage they were well diggers
0: yeah. oh yeah I mean that's a cool way to identify people but I just don't know if it would work in today's oh, yeah. day and age like if you're a scientist could yeah you do
1: Alex Scientist <laughs> That'd be a cool no, Alex, that'd be Alex awesome.
2: Brain Research <laughs> Yeah
1: <laughs> Alex Neuroscientist There you go Tyson Math <laughs> Math mathematician. <laughs> math There's a book series that I read <clears throat> um, Called The Chronicles of Pridane, Pridane By Lloyd Alexander when I was young The high king's name was math So that would be kind of cool There you go Anyway, enough about names. Names are cool, but uh, we're here to talk about a little bit about graduate student research, so Anish, uh, what do you do? So
0: I'm a master's student, a first year master's student in the Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry, um, specifically in the Department of Physiology and Pharmacology. Farm. yeah. Farm. That's very short. Um, actually, a lot of people get Farm confused with physics and pharmacology because it's the short phys. I'm sure it's a short one for physics, I guess. Yeah. So, but we're not physics. And sometimes I even heard one thing that pharmacology. Somebody addressed in a mail a letter to the Department of Farm Ecology because they thought it was the same thing as pharmacology or dermatology. There's a lot of mix-ups with my department, but... <laughs> Phonetically,
1: that makes sense. Quite a lot of sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, so what uh, is kind of the focus of, of what you do? So, so you're in Fiz Farm, mm-hmm. That's a really awesome program. I yeah. like it a lot because it's very broad. It's very you could broad. be studying the kidney or skin cancer or really very basic respiratory yeah. neurobiology yeah. if you want to
0: in that program. So the, the program's interesting because it goes all the way from basic science to um, what we like to call as bedside and bench-to-bedside science. So all yeah. clinical science. So it's a good combination of the two, and sometimes they intermix. So um, specifically, my research involves cardiovascular development. Um, so cardiogenesis, or, from, or in utero, how does
1: the heart develop? Um, you know, so heart development. Heart development. Wow. So tell us a little bit more specifically about sort of your role in, in mm-hmm. researching or learning Sorry. about heart So I'm
0: uh, more concerned about the pathological side of heart development So okay. and um, the pathologies that develop. So mainly congenital heart disease and how um, a misstep in heart development can lead to defects in the heart, morphological defects, and how that can affect newborns and you later in life.
1: So, by defects, are we talking like you know, a semi-leaky valve or something or a hole more, in the more heart severe heart. than that. Yeah, and these defects
0: range from, like, something minor, like um, uh, a minor hole in the heart to something major, like major outflow tract defects. So, like, the great vessels that come out of your heart, they could be going into the wrong chambers of the heart, and that could obviously cause you major problems uh, once like,
2: you're born. Those are, like, inferior vena cava and superior vena
0: cava. And, and even, like, the pulmonary arteries and the aorta, they could all be tra- Transposed and be in different locations because of the complex nature of cardiac development. And if you're born with um, a defect like that, your chances of survival are very slim. So um, it's important to do research in this area just to figure out why these um, mishaps occur and how we can,
1: you know, prevent them from occurring and you know potential therapies that are available. Yeah. That's really amazing. The heart, to me, is really fascinating. It was my I think. When I took like basic physiology, uh, as, like an early year undergrad, yeah. like, cardiac physiology was probably like tied just about with neuroscience. So I'm, I'm the guy who like ties a lot, you know, mm-hmm. physics and biology, neuroscience and you know cardiac mm-hmm. physiology. So that's really cool. So how do you go about? Conducting your research, so you're re- you're looking at congenital heart defects. Yes. Is there one in particular that you're looking into? Mm-hmm. Um, is there, you know, when at what point in life are you looking? Like yeah. in, in utero at the development there, mm-hmm. or things happening in utero pathologically, and then ultimately, are you looking at what would be the effect of this pathological change in an adult? And kind of what systems are you using to look at this? So we study our
0: congenital heart defects in mice. Um, that's our
1: animal model of choice.
0: And um, my project is more centered around the effect of maternal diabetes on congenital heart defects. So um, uh, specifically pregestational maternal diabetes. So when the mother is diabetic, diabetic and is hyperglycemic and has no control over her blood sugar, that has an effect on the growing child inside of her. And that can cause heart inno- uh, anomalies
1: later in life, and, you know, at birth as well. Okay you and I are really like you know, almost two peas in a pod because <laughs> right now I do ALS research but mm-hmm. kind of I was having a tough time deciding on grad research as well and one of the things I was going to look at was um, maternal malnutrition on brain development mm-hmm. so like yeah moms out there if you are you know really careful about your diet it could have profound effects on you know the outcome of Uh, babies to be, so be really careful. Yeah,
0: and I think that has a lot to um, say, especially nowadays in today's time. um, A lot of people are being diagnosed with diabetes earlier in life, Um, especially women and um, young children are being diagnosed as diabetic, and if that goes undetected, and if they do have a child, that can cause problems, uh, major problems, such as congenital heart disease.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess before we, we go any further into the possibilities for for uh developmental problems under diabetic conditions mm-hmm. for uh for moms what would you say is the outcome if, if a person is diabetic you know if maybe maybe they're genetically predisposed to that they get diagnosed yeah. with diabetes back in high school yeah. um in order to have the healthiest baby possible um what would be something that you know moms could do yeah uh, in order to to do their best to ensure that happens because, you know, life has to go on. You can't just put it off because, oh my gosh, I have this terrible affliction. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do I do?
0: I think controlling your blood sugar would be the number one thing that has to be done um, because it's seen that a high blood sugar um, causes something called reactive oxygen species to be um, uh, very much present in not only your body but your developing fetuses' body. Or you're developing the baby's body, um, and that causes a lot of cellular mishaps and a lot of cellular problems. So um, the control of the blood sugar levels is most important, and that can be done through various, um, just lifestyle, um, boot intake, as well as you know, drug therapy.
1: Okay, so keeping the blood sugar good down, um, or I guess normal normal, <laughs> not low. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, how? I guess, how, how variable does that get? I'm, I'm definitely not hmm. uh, you know, up to par on, mm-hmm. my, on my knowledge about, yeah. about that. So the model that we're
0: using right now in my lab is we uh, diagnose um, uh, diabetes, anything above 11 micromolars of uh, blood sugar. And that's uh, what we what we use as a start. And throughout the pregnancy, these um, mouse mothers, they their blood glucose goes very high and exceeds almost thirty micromolars. And that um, is almost uh, a kind of like a representation of what would happen, you know, in a real life situation if a mother hadn't controlled her um, diabetes. And uh, throughout pregnancy, as we eat more, as as a woman's body changes, um, that
1: would mirror that effect. Okay. Um, so, micromolars would just mean basically the amount of sugar in of the blood. Yes, um, it's kind of like you know grams per liter. How much is in a particular unit of, of blood? Yes. Is not um, a mole
2: related to Avogadro's number? It is. It
1: is. It's the number of particles in it's per like unit. Six point oh two times ten to the twenty three. I like how you can be like math. Uh, I can yeah. bring <laughs> math back. Basically, called yeah. so, no, Avogadro. Um, okay, so you know, getting back, I guess, to the effects on the developing heart now. So what uh, specific abnormalities, um, I don't know if you're far along enough to have seen them yet, but what, what do you expect to see uh, in, in what you're listening so,
0: to? So um, the heart is probably one of the most complex organs that we have in our body. Um, and in fact, it's the first fully functional organ, uh, organ to develop. Um, in utero. And um, what it is, it's a combination of a diff- many different pools of progenitor cells, or many different pools of stem cells, basically, um, that all come together in a harmonic you know, orchestra, kind of, and all form different parts of the heart. So one part of the heart is from a different lineage than another part of the heart. Specifically, specifically like the right ventricle is from a different lineage or heritage uh, of cells than the left ventricle.
1: So wait, wait, OK. You're blowing my mind here. Different groups of cells actually come together to form the heart. It's not from, like, one cell lineage. Because You know, in the developing brain, like, there's all sorts of cool things that happen with folds and cell differentiation. And I always assumed that, like, you know, the heart was made up of Heart cells. Yeah. Um, not a developmental biologist yeah. at all. So, so like they migrate from different places exactly. to make the heart. And you know that view, the
0: old view that the heart used to come from a single cell a cell lineage, used to be the view that uh, even developmental biologists had for probably around you know 15 years ago. That kind of changed when a new discovery was made of a new pool of progenitor cells that no one had really known about before, um, and they found that hey, this they this. This cell line really does make up a lot of the, um, a large portion of the heart. So it also shows how paradigm shifts occur in science. How we thought that, oh, okay, no, the heart is just made from one, you know, cell lineage, but no, it's actually over a
1: combination of three different, you know, um, different types of cells that make the heart. Wow. So is that, is that like different types of muscle fiber cells? Because the heart's a muscle, mm-hmm. um, yes. but, or, or is it uh, the cells within the heart actually are doing very different things? Um, and would these different cell types then be more susceptible to whatever pathologies? Yeah, uh, yeah exactly.
0: So. Yeah, so the actual muscle, the, the muscle of the heart comes from three different cells. Um, types, uh, primitive cell types, and one of the cell types—it's called the second heart field—is the most susceptible to um, to uh, external forces, and that can lead to congenital heart defects. So that's what my lab is studying right now: the effects of um, diabetes, maternal diabetes, on the uh, a cell type
1: called the second heart field. Jeez, yeah. So, uh, wow. What? Um, I guess to kind of really drill back <laughs> into, into this, so what kinds of pathologies really specifically mm-hmm. um, are, are, would you see? Yeah, um, so,
0: yeah, so uh, congenital heart defects are probably the mo- they are the most common type of birth defect, of live birth defect. They um, affect one, per- 1 to 5% of live births. And of that 1% to 5% of live births, a ventral septal defect is the most common type of um, uh, congenital heart defect, So, which is basically, as you have put it before, a hole in the heart. It's a hole between the two large chambers, or the two large ventricles in your heart. And that causes a mix in the blood blood flow. um, Mm -hmm. And you you mix oxygen in the blood with deoxygen in the blood. And that has uh, implications. Not only at when you're born, but later in life as well.
1: So it would have a really reduced efficiency, basically. Exactly.
0: The, exactly. The it might even go unnoticed at birth. Um, but then later on in life, when you do more exercises or insert yourself, you can really feel the effect
1: of that. Um, and, and what would life be like for a person living with this particular type of, of congenital heart defect? Right? Mm-hmm. Like what, what would that be like for them? How, how would they... Would they be able to run a 10-kilometer race? Yeah. Uh, And if so, how difficult would that be? A lot of times people discover that they have some kind of
0: congenital heart defect because um, they decide to run a really long race and they can't or they have... uh, they have heart trouble, and they, you know, they, they can feel it physically. Um, and in those cases, you know, surgery is usually done to repair that. Um, it's good that now modern medicine allows us to do these kind of intricate procedures of, like, you know, repairing a hole in the middle of your heart. Mm-hmm. So, just
2: out of curiosity, because I am probably the least biological person in this podcast, uh, can the hole in the heart? So you described it as it happens on the boundary between the two chambers.
0: Yes. Can it happen externally as well? And Not like to shoot blood into the body. Like I have no idea, right? I'm yeah, no, because the heart is surrounded by another encasing called like a pericardium that yep. will prevent that from happening. So, no, the you can't shoot blood out that way. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. So, other than other than ventral septal defects, mm-hmm. um, what other kinds of congenital heart? problems might there be? Um,
0: In my research right now, I'm seeing a lot of atrial atrial septal defects, so there's also a septum between the two atria of the heart, which are the upper chambers. Um, And that's a very common um, defect, and usually we're all born with an atrial septal defect, Uh, and at birth, actually at the time of birth, that wall closes. It's really cool. Um, So... Uh, and sometimes that wall can close at birth, so in that case you would have a mixing of the blood and again That's a really, that's what we call a minor defect, not a major one.
1: Uh, so it's not as bad if the, so I guess, in and out chambers of the heart are mixing than if the two kind of more middle yeah. chambers are mixing, eh? For all of us in,
0: in, in, in our fetal stage, uh, that, um, that upper chamber is always open,
1: okay. and it closes at the time of birth. So, so the mother having diabetes during yes. gestation yes. can affect the baby even after the baby's been born then? Uh,
0: essentially, uh, yeah. That, that, uh, that problem or that defect can eat, go unnoticed and then affect the individual later in life.
1: How about afterwards? So after, after birth has taken place um, and they're still breastfeeding, um, you, do you think the effects would be extrapolated there? Do you think... Um, the weaning phase uh, would be affected as
0: well. Yeah. Or? No. That, that's really interesting. Um, I don't think that uh, the you know the hyperglycemic environment in the mother itself would affect um, uh, breast milk and then. That would have their their affect the baby. So, but but definitely in vitro. Um, uh, I mean, in utero. Sorry, it would definitely uh, the hyperglycemic environment affects the child. Um, and it's actually really interesting. It's only in the first, um, almost the first, I guess, in in mouse. Um, in mice, um, gestation, it's only during the first like 14 days of pregnancy that um, the diabetes in the mother is really important because that's when the heart develops. Again, it's the first organ to develop in the body. So, so yeah.
2: comparing a, a mouse gestation period to a human gestation mm-hmm. period, what does that 14 days mean in terms of... The human like nine month cycle. Yeah.
0: So a, a mouse a mouse gestation is usually from eighteen to twenty days. Okay. Whereas the human gestation is almost uh, you know forty weeks, 39, 40 weeks. So it's almost like like a, a second two trimesters.
2: So it's almost like every day is two weeks. Yeah. hours. Yeah. Interesting.
1: And in terms of the cardiovascular system development, then, uh, do you think there's other um, issues with blood vessels, then, like you know, veins, arteries, and the, and the overall
0: circulation. Definitely. Um, uh, uh, what diabetes causes is um, something called endothelial dysfunction, and that can mess up the vasculature of the body for um, mm-hmm. body as well. And not only the heart, but also like the lungs and
1: other organs can be affected by maternal diabetes. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. intense, that's intense stuff. So I can tell that you're. Very knowledgeable about not one, but two disorders that you're doing research on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're essentially doing research on both diabetes and congenital heart defects. Yeah,
0: and I think that's what the farm program really aims at. It's really a combination of different um, aspects of human physiology and pharmacology and putting them together
1: and then, you know, researching like that. That's amazing. Um, and you seem pretty passionate about it. So why, why did you decide to get into this particular uh, branch of mm-hmm. research? Why, not why farm, but how, why... Uh, cardiovascular and, and diabetes mm-hmm. research why grad school
0: I think it all um, uh, got I think it was all like chosen in my fourth year of study I was able to take classes that like I was really I was really interested in genuinely interested in and I was able to um, see professors that I you know that I I really admired and I really like liked their research um, and I was really like interested in what they were doing in their field of study so I think that molded my um, decision to go to grad school and decision to choose the lab that I'm in, that, the lab that I'm in right now.
1: So are there any I guess courses in particular that you took then in your fourth yeah. year that really made you say Yeah,
0: I I, 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 it was probably a cardiovascular pharmacology course that was taught by the, my PI right now okay. that I took, so that, that influenced me a lot. But also a lot, a lot of my fourth year had to do with like um, the heart and like cardiovascular.
2: Very cool. I think that's a similar story with a lot of grad students. Yeah. I mean, in my third and fourth years of undergrad, I took five or six courses from the same guy, and he was a geometer, and so now I do geometry, you know. So, you know, a person at that point in your life influences you, and, you, you know, you admire that person, and it kind of melds where you're going to go with the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. So I may have, I probably missed it at the beginning, but what, who's your supervisor now? Um It's Dr. Feng. Dr. Feng? Yeah. Okay, so anyone who's listening, looking into really interesting research, Dr. Fang, what's the first name? King Peng. King Peng Fang, uh, doing some really awesome research here. So what else, uh, when you're not doing this research as a grad student, what else do you do? Did you, well, I guess you did your undergrad here as well, so I'd, you know London pretty well. Yeah, I did my undergrad
0: here. I'm really into, uh, I guess, student politics. So um, I'm, as well as you know, just doing my uh, my master's student, my. Well, I, I guess in undergrad I was a part of the USC and I was very active on it. I was a counselor and part of different committees on the USC. Now I'm trying to carry that forward in grad school as well. So I joined um, internally. I joined committees on Phys but I'm also now running for um, a graduate student senator. Um, oh wow! As a part of the. Uh, the Senate elections that are upcoming um, on February 10th and 11th, so um, I'll be running for a position of Senator,
1: yeah. Geez, heavily into politics. When you run for for Prime Minister, um, you know, increase the funding for science. Exactly. Please give us our money. Keep us going. Yeah,
0: (laughs) no, I've heard that sentiment a lot, actually, that funding for research is really going down, and it all has to do... uh, like it all goes back to the government and you know yeah yeah. interest in research Mm
1: -hmm, well i think that's about it for this interview we'll have to wrap up but thank you so much for coming on gradcast thank you it's been amazing to get to know you a little bit and i hope we can hear more from you every time
2: for sure yeah Yeah. Yeah. and um if you run you've got my vote thank you yeah (laughs) Yeah. all
1: right thank you very much thank you (laughs) thank you that's all for this week if you want to send us some feedback or if you want to come on the show yourself email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com be sure to hook us up on social media on twitter we're at gradcastradio, and look up gradcast radio also on facebook if you want to subscribe to the podcast the podcast is located at gradcast.podbean.com and it's on itunes and while you're there why don't you leave us a review it really helps us out we'll see you guys next week